take our Bibles. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, we're going to be reading verses 7 through 14. Uh, the outlines for Sunday school, I think, are on that side, still over there. So if you guys want to grab those. And uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 14. We've been talking in this series about spiritual growth. And uh, we've learned lots of different things about spiritual growth and what uh, God talks about and how he talks about it. It's actually been paralleling our <clears throat> our Wednesday night service in some aspects in, in the book of Colossians. And uh, we want to we continue uh, in this thought of growing maturely. And I want, I want to ask this question to you, and I want to challenge you in this way. Your spiritual walk, where you are currently spiritually, and, and don't answer out loud. This is more for you. This is more for you to maybe write down on your notes. Um, <clears throat> and, and so I'm not saying this generically or generally sometimes the pastor would ask a question and people would say well this is a hindrance or that's a hindrance as as general but i and i don't want any answers out loud i want to know personally for you what is your biggest hindrance to your spiritual growth yours i I don't i know what general ones and i could probably list a whole bunch but what is your biggest hindrance to your spiritual growth is it your anger is it bitterness? Is it covetousness? Um, is it uh, doubt? Is it a person? Um, is it discouragement? Um, what, what's the greatest hindrance to your own personal growth? Now, that presupposes, of course, that you are growing, <clears throat> or better, that you're at least trying to grow. All right. That, so that, that presupposes that you have a desire to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. But what's your greatest hindrance? And by the way, there could be multiple. I don't know. Um, here's another question for you. When's the last time you had a growth spurt? You know, uh, when I was going into seventh grade, between seventh and ninth grade, I grew eight inches. And uh, that would be a huge growth spurt. Uh, and, and it was kind of late in my life, but I was glad I got it. And, uh, and that would be a growth spurt. Well, spiritually speaking, <clears throat> when's the last time that you had a growth spurt? Now, I'm, you know, we're not talking about leaps and bounds because nobody really grows like that. We all grow like grass, nice and slow, and sometimes we have to get cut back or a bush. But when's the last time you grew, and what, was, what, what were the circumstances around that growth? Um, I can speak, I think, for myself and for my wife. The last two years have grown us immensely. Uh, watching people walk away from the ministry, watching people join other churches, walk, watching a, a declination of our own ministry here. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm being frank. Um, I, I think the Lord has used it in our life to humble us, uh, to show us more of His grace and His personage in us and teaching us uh, more faith and saying, Lord, we want to we so badly know what you're doing. And we don't, you know, sometimes we want to know the why. And, and if the only reason is, the only why that you want to answer to us is because you want us to know you more, then we're okay with that. And, and we're not always okay with that. Sometimes we're not, and then we have to go back. But that's the growth, okay? So I, I just want to ask you, if you are actually desiring to grow, like we talked about last week, what's the greatest hindrance to your growth? And, and so I want to read these uh, verses here, and I want to go into this uh, marks of maturity 
um, as the Bible speaks it. So look in your Bibles at Ephesians chapter 4 and look down at verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And here's the gifts that he talks about in verse 8. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Go back up and look at verse 12, if you will. The Bible says that he gave people to the church for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. One of the things that makes Christianity different from all other religions is that it begins with a spiritual birth. It does not begin with a ceremony. It doesn't begin with a sprinkling or a baptism. It doesn't begin with a sacrament. Um, It doesn't begin with a confirmation. The new birth that Jesus spoke about in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, remember that story? That takes place when you receive Jesus Christ as Savior. John chapter 1 and verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power or the right to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. First John chapter 5 and verse 11. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Listen, he that hath the son hath life. And he that hath not the son of God hath not life. We've learned that in the last several weeks then that God's plan for every person is that birth. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants everybody to be born again. Amen. That's God's will. But not just to be born again. The cycle is birth and growth and maturity. We've also learned how to recognize the spiritual infant. These are people who are more concerned with self than service. We could label those consumers, people who want for me. What can your ministry do for me? What can you do for me? What can God do for me? That's all consumers. They're more concerned with self rather than service. They look for the argument rather than action. They're trying to justify why they won't instead of just doing what God asks, if you will. And they tend to look to man more than they look to God. It's man to blame or man to bless. It's man to help uh, or man that's going to hinder. So the the marks of spiritual infancy we've already looked at. They look for the the argument and to the man. But how can you recognize Christian maturity? And that's what Paul is writing to here to the church at Ephesus. He He says, listen, I want you to understand there's some things about maturity, not just that I want you to mature, as he's talked in other books, but this is how you recognize the marks of maturity. And you could take this and you could put it up on your mirror. You could put it, you could use it per se, Ephesians 4 as an x-ray machine that, to look at your own heart and say, hey, Lord, do I have these marks? And, you know, wh- where is my attitude here? And maybe, you know, 
obviously I'm the greatest hindrance to spiritual growth. I can't say, well, you know, it's Ray's fault that I'm not growing in grace because of what he says to me or what, you know, that that's, that's me trying to blame man, right? Instead of saying, you know, Lord, this is me. I'm supposed to be under construction until the end of my life or till when Jesus comes. And I don't want to hinder what you're doing. I don't want to be the reason that I'm, I'm not growing. And so I want you to take your notes this morning and notice three simple ways to recognize Christian maturity. Number one, the mature Christian is a believer with a mission. The mature Christian is a believer with a mission. Look at verse 11. The Bible says, and he gave uh, some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints. That word perfecting means maturing. It's to get you to the complete part of yourself. That is the, the measure of Christ. And the Bible says that God gave gifts to the church to bring Christians to that maturity. Now, I've never done it this way, but I want you to understand. So he gave some apostles and prophets. How, how, how is God going to use the apostles and prophets? Through their writings. That's why God inspired Jeremiah. I was reading today about the death of uh, Josiah. And when Josiah died, the Bible says in Second Chronicles that Jeremiah lamented. Okay, or lamented. In other words... Jeremiah, who was alive, of course, during the reign of Josiah in Judah, uh, it affected Judah's life. Just like, remember when Isaiah said, when you say, in the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up? These prophets were in link with God's man on the throne, and God used them to write. Now, if you don't make it a habit of reading through the Bible, you're missing out on a lot of great stuff, all right? Especially in the prophets. When you're looking at a prophet in the Old Testament, you're looking at a man of God who, by the way, talk about being by himself in many ways, being the only one to speak out, being the only one with God's voice heavy on his heart. He takes that message and he repeats it out to people. And, and most of the time, let's be honest, it's not a well-pleasing message. It's a reproving message. It's a rebuking message. It's a correcting message. It's a message of condemnation. God's coming to chasten you, Right? And, and he gives those letters to us. For what? So we can learn more about God. What, is, what do we learn in the prophets and, and from the apostles uh, about God? He sure hates sin. And he sure loves it when his kids obey. But he's not, he's not the kind of dad that doesn't love too much. He loves them so much he's going to chasten them. All right? So the Bible says that he gave uh, the apostles and the prophets. And he gave them for the maturity through their writings. Um, the apostles is the same. Um, look at the book of Acts. Look at look at John and Peter and all the epistles that Paul wrote. All right? All of these, what are they for? They're for maturing. Why is it they're writing? We're going to study a letter today um, in 1 John. Why do they write? To help Christians stay on track. To help Christians remember. You can trust God. It doesn't matter what the world is going on in the world. Um, the Bible says he gave some evangelists. Those are through their special ministry. And evangelists, by the way by definition, is a soul winner. It's someone who will, euangelion, someone who will share the good news of the gospel of Christ. By the way, someone shared it with you. And you got saved. And when people like that or evangelists come in who, who will preach the word of God, what are they for? They're for our maturing. They're supposed, to, they're supposed to help us to grow in grace. Then, of course, it has pastors and teachers and I want you to recognize this. Pastors and the teachers of the Word of God that you have physically have the primary responsibility 
to bring about Christian growth in your life, all right? That's the primary, that's the primary responsibility of every pastor and anybody that will pick up the Word of God and teach the Word of God. Their primary responsibility is to help you grow. It's to feed you to the Word of God. It's hopefully to help answer your questions or to take the Word of God and give the sense of it so that it's not just putting out information, right? It's taking that information, making it palatable, and then presenting it to you in such a way that you don't mind eating it, that you would take it home, right? That's the goal. That's the primary responsibility of the pastor uh, and teacher. Now, we're talking about, number one, the mature Christian is a believer with a mission, all right? So let me, now that we know, okay, here's the primary responsibility. Let's think about letter A. There's a big mistake in ministry, Letter A, mistake in ministry. The pastor has become the one who does the work of the ministry instead of maturing others to do it. Notice what the Bible says in verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. You see the progression? The pastor has become the one who does the work of the ministry instead of maturing other believers to do the work of the ministry. Instead of being participants... Christians have become spectators. You ever heard of that phrase before? People who are standing on the sidelines watching others in, well, in many ways, that's how a lot of Christians view the pastor or the teacher, is that we want to just stand and we can hear you, but we want you to do the work of the ministry. We want you to be the one that performs the work. They become spectators. Pastors perform and their people go home and talk about it. It's like watching a football game. Hey, did you see that game? Hey, did you hear Pastor's sermon today? Man, what a great dude. Okay, let's go have a beer. Uh, hey, what a great dude. Let's go have a glass of wine because we're celebrating. Hey, let's go and whatever. They're not interested in doing the work of the ministry themselves. They're simply watching somebody else do it. Too many believers feel their responsibilities end in paying pastors or supporting ministries. And yet that's not the text, is it? The Bible plainly says that he gave the gifts for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. So that's the mistake in ministry. Secondly, mature believers have a mission. Mature believers have a mission. They see their mission in life as actually doing the work of the ministry. Reaching out. What is that? Reaching out to others with love. Reaching out to the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, it's not easy to love everybody, is it? That's a ministry, isn't it? That's a ministry of love. The ministry of helps. All of that. To have compassion on somebody else that you don't feel like having compassion on is a ministry. That's a service. You can't do that and, and, and have any benefit from it or grow from it if it's not done in the Lord. Otherwise, it's done in vain. We talked about that last week. They don't stop, uh, they don't stop growing in that fashion. They continue to abound. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men even as we do toward you so paul confesses hey i want you to know me and silas and the people that are with us we are continuing to grow in our love for one another and our love toward others why because if you don't continue to grow in love one for another and you don't continue to grow for love of the lost, there's going to be a limit to who you will love. There'll be a limit to whom you will witness. Can I get a witness right there? The fact of the matter is, if I don't continue to grow, 
my love is going to stop and my testimony is going to stop. And God says, no, I, I want you to continue to abound in both. So a mature Christians, uh, uh, mature Christians are believers with a mission. They're believers with a mission. Secondly, the mature Christian is a builder of other believers. So the Bible says, obviously, that the, the primary purpose for pastors and teachers and the, the, the ministry of the prophets and evangelists and, and apostles are to mature believers for the perfecting of the saints. And then it says, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, most of you know what the word edify means. What does it mean? It means to build up, okay? I think you may have this in your notes, actually. To build up or help along, all right? And every believer needs building or helping. Every believer needs uh, building up as they mature in Christ. Why? Because sometimes the growth pains hurt, don't they? You go through something that God's trying to stretch your faith with, and what do you need? Oh, man, it's, it's wonderful to have someone to come right next to you to help you along. Cammy and I have some friends coming in uh, tomorrow morning, actually, from a very long way away, and we're very humbled that they want to come, and they just want to be with us. They want to come alongside of us, and they want to encourage us. They want to help us, right? Um, that's exactly what God is talking about here. A mature believer is a builder up of other believers. Now, what can you and I do to build up the body of Christ? Let's look at some things. Letter A, you can care for the parts of the body that are afflicted. You can care just by caring, just by getting your heart soft towards someone else's burden is growth. Did you know that? Because there's a lot of people that go through life don't care about a lick. They don't care about anybody but who? themselves. They don't allow themselves to care about somebody else. Now, some people would say, well, you know, I cared about somebody and I got hurt, so that's it. And they're callous, all right? As soon as I put myself out there, you know, they did me wrong. And next thing you know, I'm now all of a sudden, I'm just as hard as a rock. Well, God says, what I want you to do is not be like that. I want you to actually care about people to the point where you'll do several things. How about pray for them? In James 5.16 says, The effectual fervent man, a prayer of a righteous man, availeth much. And the context, by the way, of those that are sick. You know, Bob, we prayed for Bob just before you walked in, Sandy. And, and uh, I just, I, I just, I, there's, if the, there's one place that I think is the biggest torture chamber in your life. It's the bedroom when you have to go to sleep and you can't go to sleep. It's a torture chamber. Especially when it's because of pain. And you can't get comfortable and you can't get relief. So you get up and you think, well, if I sit up, I'll, you know, if I, if I put this up or if I put this on it, I'm going to get some form of relief. And not getting that relief, oh, it's awful. And that's what Bob's going through right now. I don't like that. I know what that's like. But I don't want that for anybody. Man, not getting sleep, that's not fun, is it? Especially when you're in pain for it. Especially when you're, when you're looking at a doctor face-to-face and he says, no, this is going to help you and it's going to get better and you're not going to have the, huh, right? So all of that goes through his mind 24 hours a day. Why? Because he lives with that, right? So one of the ways that I can care is by praying. What does prayer show? It shows that I care, okay? I, I, the Bible says that I'm supposed to love and pray for those who despitefully use you. Well, watch this. I'm not going to pray for my enemies if I'm not praying for my friends. If I'm not praying for my family, if I'm not praying even for good people that are going through things. I'm not certainly not going to pray for my 
enemy if I'm not praying for those people, right? So <clears throat> pray for the sick is one way. Um, you can contact them. You can visit the lonely. Listen, people who are sick, people who are hurting, people who are going through some kind of trial, um, they are, they can be very lonely because other people don't care, right? Because other people haven't showed them that they care. And so there's several things. You can care for the parts of the body that are afflicted. Secondly, you can minister to the physical needs of the body. And now let me say this. Physical needs. If churches were doing what they were told to do by God, do you understand that social programs would be unnecessary? Do you understand that? If churches were doing what they were told by God, social programs would be unnecessary. That's the honest truth. If Christians were caring just for believers, that would be one thing. But as we take the grace of God and we look at somebody who is in need, just that one person, and make a difference in that person's life, did you know? (laughs) I mean, we are, never mind, I'm not going to get into the politics of it, but they, they would be unnecessary. Why? Because the love of God extends everywhere, and we're his extension. There's no condition to that. People would be getting saved, and if they lacked, their church would help them until they were self-sufficient. Now, if you want to read about this, just read about it in the book of Acts. That's where it started. That's where it happened. In fact, in Acts 5, the Bible calls it a daily ministration where people could come to, get the church, come to the church body for help, food, and clothing, and shelter. That, that was a ministry of the church. Remember, they came to the apostles. Hey, the Greeks are being forlorn they're not they're being forsaken okay here's what you do take care of it (laughs) it's exactly what they said what what do you want us to do we got to minister the word of god we got to we got to lead this group we got to pray we got to get with god we got to find out how we can be used to mature you so god uses peter and he says hey look you need to take care of this choose you out among you men who are full of the spirit of god and wisdom and have a strong faith And by the way, they did. And by the way, what happened? The needs were met. You see what I mean? You can care for the parts of the body that are afflicted. Let her be. You can minister to the physical needs of the body. By the way, uh, when my my son and I were sick, many people did that. And we were so grateful for that. We were genuinely grateful of it, for uh, for it. And and, and, and you have no idea how much, if you've ever had a meal taken to you, when you are not feeling like making a meal or you're in need and you, you, you are so grateful for that. <laughs> Even if you're like, oh, I can't, I can't eat this right now. I'm so sick. But you know what I'm saying? Eventually you're going to be, oh my goodness, God, thank you for the hands that made this meal and brought this to me. It, it makes a difference. What is that? That's maturing. Let her see. You can serve the spiritual needs of the body. Now, here's where we want to remain balanced a lot of churches would say that the social aspect or the physical needs of people are more important than the gospel now they wouldn't say it like that but they and what they say sometimes is well we have this food service so that we can give the gospel well they have the food service but the people getting it never get the gospel right nobody is there exchanging words making a relationship nobody is and by the way, that's not all over the place, but, but you get the sense that, that it's more important to be seen instead of heard as far as doing that, right? But we have to understand what is more important, that a person is dead while living or alive after death, okay? 
there's one thing that that is the most important thing and that is when you die because we're all dying are you for sure on your way to heaven and can i get you to the place where you would listen to me long enough so that i could show you from the bible how much god loves you and how he wants to save you all right that's the goal now if if i can feed someone and get them to a sobriety or get them to a place where they're willing to receive the gospel then by all means i think we should do it but if i'm just feeding and not giving the gospel then i'm defeating the purpose of the food you see what i'm saying if i use it as a means to get to the gospel then great but 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 what's the most important part the spiritual needs all right and i can minister to the spiritual needs of the of the church what are we talking about edifying building up now the bible says do good unto all men but especially the household of faith so what we're talking about here and doing the work of the ministry yes it has to do with the lost but the greater majority has to do with building up the body of christ that's why it says the body edifying the body how can i do that caring for them praying for them visiting them contacting them um, making sure that their physical needs are met if if they need to be but also by ministering to them the word of god in acts chapter 28 the bible says something amazing and paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him preaching the kingdom of god and teaching those things which concerned the lord jesus christ with all confidence no man forbidding him you see that so for two years, Paul gave himself to this church, and he said, listen, I want to teach you whatever you need to know. And, 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 no, and no one's going to stop me. I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to preach about the kingdom of God. I'm going to preach to you how to live in the kingdom of God, how to be a child of the king in the kingdom of God. And, and I'm going to do it with all confidence, knowing that I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do, spiritually investing in the lives of others is an amazing blessing that far too many Christians miss out on. If more believers would live in the scriptures, uh, uh, would live the scriptures, they would be more confident in teaching them. You see, there's uh, again, I keep going like a broken record back to Ephesians chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter five, where Paul says, "There's a lot of you that ought to be teachers, but you have need of one teach you again." Okay, of the first oracles of God. And there's a lot of people who, for the same reason, they, they don't witness to somebody because they say, "Well, what if I don't?" have an answer to a question okay well then why don't you study the answers to the questions so that you'd be more confident you see how that works and in order to do that i've got to grow i've got to put that effort in i've got to let the pastor and the teacher teach me and then what happens look aureli's a teacher aureli can only do so much in the classroom that kid has to take the information and keep it you're a teacher same thing is true when raven teaches she can only give so much information she can only give so many practice assignments at what point are they going to remember how to spell right you have to put that knowledge into practice there's some words that i probably many many of us vocabulary lists who or spelling lists they just make you nauseous because you got to do them right okay that's great and and there and most of the words you can spell are the ones you use regularly or even semi-regularly. But if you don't use a word regularly, you're like, you ever look at a word and go, oh, that just looks weird. 
You ever look at it? It may be spelled right, and you're like, I haven't seen that word in a while. And then you look it up, oh, I spelled it right. Or you spell it wrong, okay? And, 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 and if you don't use it, you lose it, right? Same thing's true with the scriptures. Man, I got to get in this word of God, but not just for the sake of knowledge. It's for the sake of ministry. What's ministry? What's one of the key things, the marks of maturity? Edifying the body of the Lord Jesus Christ according to the word of God. Um, there are people who could be peacemakers and promise keepers in edifying the, word, the body of Christ. People who could just live that way. Now, let me ask you this. Are others stronger in Christ because of you? That's your question. Um, is the body more unified because of you? I, I don't want to be the reason that someone leaves. I don't want to be the reason that somebody's not talking to somebody else. I don't want to be the reason that somebody is going to sit on that part of the auditorium rather than on this part. I don't want to be the reason that somebody comes in and avoids me to get to church or avoids me to get out of church. Why? Because that's not unity. You see that? Marks of maturity are people who are keeping the unity, endeavoring to keep the unity in the bond of peace. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all loneliness and meekness and longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's only one body. So it's a big thing, the edifying of the body of Christ. So the mark, the, uh, the, the mark of a mature Christian is a believer with a mission. He's not watching someone else do it or paying for someone else to do it. He's got his own mission. Secondly, is a builder up of believers. I'm going to invest in people. I want to know how they are. By the way, that's huge. Just asking them. And I don't mean like, hey, really, what's up? Good to see you today. All she says is, pastor acknowledged my appearance or my attendance today. All right? But if I get in your business and I say, tell me how you're really doing. Is there anything that I can pray for you about? I, what am I doing now? Now I'm showing that I actually... I'm not just glad you're here. I care about what you may be going through. I really do. All right? That's the difference. And, and by the way, we used to be really good at that. This church used to be really good at that. And we need to be good at it again. Okay? Number three, the mature Christian has a Bible basis for every belief. Hey, celebrities are here. We'll talk to you in a minute. The mature, the mature Christian has a Bible basis for every belief. I want to ask you, you know, I love questions. Statements condemn, questions convict. One of the first things that they teach you in homiletics, okay? Statements condemn, questions convict, okay? Because you have to answer them. Now watch. Do you really know what you believe and why you believe it? Because what if someone who believes something else believes what they believe stronger than what you believe? What's that going to cause you to do? It's going to cause you to doubt. More importantly, it's going to cause you to question God. Okay? Do you know what you believe and why? Secondly, can you find it in the Bible? <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things that people say. No, they say, the Bible says, and I go, actually, that's not what the Bible says. Or people will say, well, doesn't the Bible say, and I, 
actually it doesn't say that. Well, doesn't the Bible say something about good things come to those that wait? No, <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah, cleanliness is next to godliness. That ain't in there either. You know, all these things that people say comes from the Bible. Well, can you find what you believe in the Bible? Okay. Can you show it to someone who doesn't know what they believe? You know, I, one of the things that I'm, that I try to do now when I witness to people is to say, Hey, Lou, tell me what you believe happens to you when you die. What, what happens to you when you die? Now, if they're being honest, and this is the way so many of them, them uh, begin, they go, well, well, I really don't know. They really don't know. Um, or they say, well, I think something. Do they believe it? If they say, I think, no. They're poking holes in the dark. They have no idea. So it's important for you to know what you believe. And by the way, what you should believe is what the Bible says. Okay? It's important for you to know what you believe because there's a whole lot of people that have no clue. They're believing whatever they're told. And if that's the case, then why don't we just tell them what they need to believe and that's the truth. Okay? Um, can you show it to someone who doesn't know what they believe? Because if you don't know what you believe, how is there any room for growth? Okay? Um, if you don't know what you believe, what's to stop someone from telling you what you shouldn't believe? Now, the phrase here is in verse 13, it says, uh, no, in verse 14, that we henceforth be no more, what? Children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by sleight of men and cutting craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. No more tossed to and fro. This maturity thing, you just get it in your mind, is a big deal to Jesus, Okay. Because it's a part of his commission to his disciples, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Wait a minute. Some of the last words Jesus spoke of were of this process of me maturing to a point, the disciples, where I could teach someone else after I've led them to Christ how to mature, teaching them to observe. What does that word mean? It doesn't mean like I'm just going to look at it from a distance. That word means I'm going to do it teaching them to observe. Let me ask you a question. Do you just look at the speed limit or do you observe it? That's what he's talking about. Teaching them to observe. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to obey it. Okay? Um, Hebrews 6 and verse 9. Do you have that in your notes? But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation. See that? Things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous, to forget your work and labor of love which ye have showed toward his name in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end that ye be not slothful but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises that's the whole cycle in just a few verses I want you to continue to do this because others need to continue to do the same thing, right? The importance of spiritual maturity cannot be overstretched as you see in verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children that are captured by the enemy or driven away from the paths of righteousness by any vain thing offered up by Satan and his ministers. We talked about that on Wednesday night. The blessing of spiritual maturity as I see it here in the, is, uh, in the text is simple. 
The maturing believer is several things. Letter A, no longer snared by false doctrine or by false teachers. They're solid in their doctrine. I know what I believe. Be very careful that you don't say things, number one, that are contrary to the Bible. Number two, that you can't prove in the Bible. Be very careful. All right? Be very careful. Um, 2 Peter 2, 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Peter's warning them, saying, look, if you're a Christian, in your close proximity is going to be a wolf in sheep clothing among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. He's warning them. So a mature believer is no longer snared. It's not snared by false teachers. Secondly, they no longer attracted by the world. Now, it doesn't mean that it's not alluring. They may see that the world is alluring, but they're not attracted to it. You see that? They recognize it. They recognize the traps, and because of what they know about God from the Bible and their life in Christ, they submit to God so that they can resist the devil, and they flee. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, James 4, 4. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. I said to God yesterday morning, God, I'm on your side. I want to be on your side. Yours is the winning side. You've given us the victory. So my faith needs to be on your side of the fence. And I want to stay on that side. Don't you want to be on the winning side? It's good to be a part of a winning team. No longer attracted by the world. This is a mark of a mature believer. Thirdly, and I'm done. A mature believer is growing in their love for the Lord. Their love. Now, as the Holy Spirit of God sheds abroad His love in our hearts, according to Scripture, our love should grow for God. Um, When you first get married, you're totally enamored and in love. But that love doesn't grow in the first week (laughs) or the first month it just is okay it may grow somewhat over a year but you have to give love the love for your spouse time and trial and truth and when you do and trust and when you do what happens it grows well how do you know that Talk to someone that's been married for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, and they will say, my love for my spouse has grown. Right? Why? Because we've been together for all these years. Because we've been through so much. Because we've experienced life together. Now let me ask you a question. Do you experience life with Christ Or do you experience life beside Christ? Because I can can see him at a distance and not be experiencing life with him. I want to experience life with Christ. I want to walk in the Spirit so that I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And the more I experience God, the more I experience his grace, the more I experience his presence, what happens? I love him more. It, it, it is, um, you know, sweeter and sweeter as the days go by, right? That's the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be better today than it was yesterday. It's supposed to be deeper. It's supposed to be wider. 
Each day, uh, the maturing believer reminds themselves of the greatest commandment of God, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. With everything. Every day, surrendering more of their soul to loving God, which can bear out in only one way. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, do you know what you believe? Can you prove it from the Bible? Maturity in the Word of God, it brings maturity in life. When I take and I say, okay, Lord, you want me to grow, it's birth, growth, maturity. I want to grow. Am I growing? Why am I not growing? Okay, if I can identify what I'm not growing and remove those things, then as I live every day with Christ, as I live every day desiring the sincere milk of the word and saying by faith, I want to be on your team. I want to walk with you, not against you. I'm not opposed to you running my life. I submit my life to you. What, what is the only possibility? Maturity. And that maturity is going to bear out in other people around me. How they, how they matter to me, what I say to them, how I love them. Let me challenge you to examine yourself for the, these marks. And what areas are your greatest needs for growth? That's another great question. What, what area do I need to grow more in? Okay, yeah, I've grown a little more in this and a little more in that, and I've kind of declined there, but what's my biggest area of growth? Um, how, how, do, how can I identify that? Asking the Lord to help me. Recognizing that we all need to grow, let's aid one another on the road to Christian maturity. That's what, a, that's what the church is. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That whole, this whole chapter in verse four, uh, chapter 4 of Ephesians is about spiritual growth. And it, here's what he says. You don't have to go through it alone. Everyone's going to mature differently. Everyone's going to grow differently. My son wants his growth spurt to happen three weeks ago. Okay? I think it's starting to happen, but he wants it to be done and over. He wants to be six foot today. He wants to be a six foot 11-year-old. Can you imagine? <laughs> There are some, actually, in his jiu-jitsu class, it's like 12, 13, and these guys are almost as tall as I am, and I'm going, you guys are beasts already. And, you know, it, it's like you see these guys, and then all of a sudden, whoop, here's Braden, and then it goes back up, and, and he's standing with guys that are right close to his age, and he's like, I don't get it. They're like a foot taller than me. You know what I mean? Well, guess what? When you're in a church, there's some people that are going to be a foot taller than you. And, and, and the biggest mistake is when we look around and go, I'm a foot taller than he is. Or she's, she's six inches less than I am. You see what I mean? That's the danger. So let, let's, just, let's just ask ourselves these questions and say, God, I, I want to commit myself to spiritual maturity. And I know not only that you're worth it, but I know what you want me to do with it. And that especially is in this body. Let's pray. Father, we sure love you. And we thank you for the time together today. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. We pray now that you would take it and that we would take it and we would hide it in our hearts. And God, I just pray that this week... We'd have a vibrant uh, time with you, and uh, Lord, that we would uh, that we would just be laborers together with you in in this life, in our homes, in this church, in this community. And we pray that it would be for your glory and honor. Bless our service to come here in just a few minutes. In Jesus' name, I pray.